well, let's get ready and get into the Word. All right, so you got your Bibles ready, and uh, you got your paper and your pencil if you're going to take notes, and uh, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for today. Lord God, we just take a deep breath right now, and are, we're just so moved in our spirit with, with everything that you are doing and saying and, and just what you're, what you're up to. And Father God, I just ask you right now to just be with us for the next 30 minutes as your word comes forth, Lord, and uh, we open our hearts up to what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, everybody said... All right, turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. Grow up. Would you please grow up? Put a please on it. Okay. We're on, I believe, our fifth Sunday of growing up, and it's been fun, hasn't it? There's a little bit of a ring up here, Sterling. If you could help me with that, I would appreciate it. But uh, we're working on growing up. We're working on growing up, and this is going to be my last shot at it, and uh, so we're going to uh, just kind of roll with it here today, and hopefully we'll be able to finish it up. Everybody say, finish it up. Woo, that's a big deal right there. Okay, so I'm just going to give you some quick pointers of what we've been kind of talking about over the last couple of weeks, and I don't want to take too much time on that, but if we could all get our minds back into the same spot, uh, the same starting line so that we can run the race and finish it in 30 minutes and be happy. Amen? So, what we have been learning about growing up is that everyone has to. Everyone has to. I don't know why God did this way, did everything this way, but he, he, babies are born and they have to grow up. Right? So there's a process that every single human being has to go through and no one is exempt. No one is exempt. Uh, so therefore, it, it kind of makes me wonder, it makes me think that for some reason, God loves the process. He loves the process of growing up. And, uh, you know, I think about my kids and their growing up process, and there was so much fun in that time. But I'll tell you what, there were some real times there. Anybody have, a, have an amen for that as you were raising kids? There were some times where you're like, I don't like the process. Would you hurry up and just be a, be a man, you know? <laughs> uh, but uh, God loves the process. And that's a good thing because guess where I'm at? I'm in the process. And it's very important to embrace the process. There's three laws to maturing or to growing up. Number one is you are to never stop. Right? Everybody say, never stop. My body eventually stopped growing, but my heart and my emotions and my spirit can never stop growing. It never can happen. About the time I think I'm grown up, something happens and you find me in the corner bawling like a baby. So I'm not done growing up. Or is it just me? Never stop. Number two, God always puts the immature with the mature. So that the mature can learn and glean from the mature. And the mature then can be energized and and just have purpose in helping the immature. If you don't have in your life people who are farther along than you and you are not connecting with those kinds of people and gleaning from them, you are not in your best place. And if in your life you don't have those that are behind you coming and you are helping them, you're not in your best place either. You always have to have the immature with the mature. God always births babies into uh, parents' 
arms, right? It is a law. It is a law to growing up. Number three, uh, the proof of growth is that we no longer are self-centered, all about me. When a baby is born, what is it? It's self-centered. It's all about them. If something isn't just right, you know, you hear about it, right? Uh, If something isn't quite right, because they're very self-focused. It's all about what's going on right here inside of me, and I don't like it, and I like it, and I want, and I need, and da-da-da. That's what a baby is. But when a baby grows up, all of a sudden, they become not so much self-centered, but other-centered. What? What do you need? Let me help you. I'll just stay up all night and pat your bottom, because I love you, and I'm the grown-up here, and you're the baby. Right? So growth is this incredible shift from self to others. That's what growth is. And God loves the process. Ephesians 4, let's, let's read it very quickly. Um, we're going to start with verse 11. And we've been hammering on these two sections of Scripture. And, and I'm hoping to hammer on it one more time because I want it really set in our spirit, really set inside of us. Okay, you ready? Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Because then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together and every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, we talked the last two weeks about um, the Christmas that I gave my son his pajamas, and I don't want to go into great detail again because I know that most of you heard that. But the problem was is that when I gave him his pajamas, they were a little bit big for him. They were the onesie kind. He ran in the other room, put them on, zipped them up, came running out. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. A perfectly formed head with a body that wasn't quite right. It had a lot of potential. His sleeves were shoved up. His feet were trying on, and they were tripping him up. But the body wasn't fully formed. It had a lot of potential, but it wasn't there, right? So I'm going to call that the PJ potential principle. Because that's what this passage is talking about. It's talking about the fact that Christ is the head of the church, and we are the body, and it's our job to grow up and become the body, begin to fill it out. Every generation has its moment to stand up, take its place, and grow up and become the body of Christ. To become a fully formed, fully placed, fully mature body for the head Christ to say, hey, listen, I need you to go over here. I need you to do this. I need you to help that person. I need you to go here. I need you to. And the head, the head doesn't do things. The head doesn't necessarily do things. It directs the body. And you, my friend, are the body of Christ. So when you come together, when we come together and we mature, all of a sudden the head can say, hey guys, in Fife, I need food taken to this person right there because I've got them primed and ready. They're in the motels and I've been working on their heart. I need you to go to their door and knock on it and say, I love you and here's a bag of food and then lead them to Christ. 
need you to drive a shuttle so that you can go and pick them up so they can come here and get baptized. That's what the body of Christ does when it's all put together and it's all functioning. The head can make a call to us and say, I have been, see, Christ, the Spirit is working all the time on people's hearts. It's always, always working, always drawing. Always, but it's very rare that an angel shows up and leads somebody to the Lord. Instead, instead, at that very moment, God calls up his body and says, go talk to that person. Go say these words in front of these people. Set truth in love, in this situation. And when we, the body of Christ, when we are not thinking about ourselves any longer, oh, I think I'd be really embarrassed. And you know, it's about me. And if I feel comfortable then, but I kind of don't feel comfortable. It's all about me, remember? No, remember, we're growing up. It's not about me anymore. It's all about other people. It's about obedience. Do you understand? So when we, the body of Christ, grow up, Incredible, amazing things happen. Over the the course of history, there have been generations where there have been people that have came, stood up, done their thing, made incredible, incredible impact. Like hundreds and thousands of people, you know, or just one, or just one. But they raised up, they took their place, they did, they were, they matured. There's been other generations where those people did not stand in their place. And during those generations, evil has grown. Evil, there's always this push and pull of evil and righteousness. The body of Christ against the powers of darkness. I would say to you today, people of God, saints of New Horizon, the people who God has given to Dwayne and I, we are going to do everything possible to be the most effective, powerful, obedient, strong, willing body of Christ he's ever had in the Fife region in Jesus' name. Are you with me? For That's the wimpiest clap on the, fa- the face. Of, come on. Are you? Are you with me? Are you with me? Because as Christ is the head of the church... Dwayne and I are the head of this church, right? We can't do everything. We can't. When somebody, you know, needs something and there isn't a hand to do it, then the head has it. Like, you know, somebody like the knee has an itch or something like that. And, and I haven't grown my hand yet to, you know, and the knee is crying out. I need, I need it. So the head, okay, well, I'll do it, you know. So the head gets down there, tries to scratch the knee. Do you think it's very effective? No, we need that hand. That's you. Fitly joined together as the body of Christ. Amen? So, through prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, this is how God set you to grow up. And he made this thing called church. That's why you're here. That's why it's important to be here. Remember last week we talked about getting your little self in a purple chair So that we can grow together, so that we can mobilize and do this thing. Amen? So good. The church is such a healthy 
wonderful place. The birth of the church is in Acts chapter 2, so flip over there. It's amazing. I only got 17 minutes. I better hurry up. They devoted themselves. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done in Jesus' name. Actually, by the apostles. But I added that in. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone who had a need. In Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Ultimate love relationship honeymoon moment of the church when it was birthed and born and set up. I yearn for this in real time. I yearn for this in 2015. I yearn for what happened. 3,000 people coming to the Lord in one sermon. I yearn for that kind of effectiveness of the kingdom of God in real time 2015. And it can come to pass. I know for a fact that God has great plans, great ideas, the, the, the plans and the, the, the purposes that he has for us. And time is so ripe for a mighty move of God like this. So incredible. But we have to learn from this passage and work very hard to import what is the ultimate honeymoon relationship with the church and God into real time. Just like you have to import the, the way you acted in your own honeymoon when you got married. Remember those days? Silence. Do you remember those days? Oh, Candace and Jack remember the honeymoon. They remember the honeymoon. But then Monday happened. You had to begin to live life, and you got to live honeymoon love style in real lifetime. Amen? In real time. That's what the church has to do. We decided that in this passage, there's four things. There's four main things that the church, that early church had during their honeymoon season that we are working diligently and committing ourselves to pull into real time here in 2015. The first thing was in that very first verse there. It says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. The apostles' teaching. We are all committed to growing in our knowledge. Turning off movies, setting aside Facebook, podcasts, live stream, always filling our heart. Once that's done, then go ahead and have fun. But always be filling your heart and your mind with the apostles' teaching, with Jesus' teaching. Number two, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. We talked last week about the uncommon unity that was present in that church. Do you know what, com- what is common with a group of people? Chaos. Chaos. Relational chaos is common when there's a group of people together. But in this church and in this time frame and in this honeymoon season of the church, there was uncommon unity. And if we can devote ourselves to uncommon unity and leave common chaos behind 
and enter into a love that has never been found. If we can do that, we will set this place up to be mighty. I have to hit the last two today. Number one of the two, which is actually three of the four, if you're taking notes. I'm going to call it active generosity. And I think it's the hardest part of this passage. This passage tells us how the church is supposed to be interacting, number one, with God, number two, with others, and, and number, with each other, you know, and number three, with the outside world. And something this passage talks about is probably one of the hardest things for us to grasp onto. It's called active generosity. It says here, in verse 45, selling their possessions and goods they gave to every, anyone who had a need. Selling their possessions, they gave everything they had for anyone who had a need. Now, this is a difficult passage. Because for me to be able to preach this would mean, that once again, that I would have to go home and sell my house and then bring it here for anyone who has need. Do you know of many churches that are functioning in that right now? Probably not. So, Joel, is that a mistake? Was this a cult that was getting started? Are you really asking me to do that hard of a thing? Let's back up a little bit. I want to move you to the heart of why these people were doing it. Do you recall any sermon around this that said, go home, sell your things, bring it here. God wants all your money. Did that happen in that passage? Was there any manipulation? If you sell your house and bring it here, you're going to have salvation for you and your family and all the loved ones who've died and never accepted Christ. Was there any manipulation in that passage? No. I will tell you something. That when God reaches in and puts a fire in your heart, he changes your relationship with your stuff. Your relationship to your stuff changes and is voluntary. Those people had experienced such an upside-down moment, such an upside-down incredible moment, that all of a sudden their stuff did not take number one place. What they saw were people who had need, and their way of fulfilling and loving was to go... uh, you know, honey, honey, I think maybe what we can do is maybe they, they're going to die if we don't do this. Or, that, you know, they, they need this or that. I think I'm going to, you know, don't tell anybody, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to sell this. And, and, and I'm, you know, don't tell anybody. But, yeah, this is what they did. Because, see, there was a whole switch in their heart set towards their stuff. See, I need you to remember, you are a three-part being. You are a spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is a mind, will, and emotions. That's what your spirit has to operate through. And all of that is encapsulated in a body. Right? Your body has physical needs. It needs to eat. It likes to look good. No little slacks here or there or something like that. Needs some clothes. It needs a car to drive around in or horse and buggy, depending on when you were. And it needs a house. Your body is screaming for needs. 
And your soul likes them to be good and nice. And your soul is able to look at everything around you and go, but what if, and what if, maybe we won't have enough. And maybe, maybe, and it, it likes to operate in fear, but your spirit is a whole nother thing. Your spirit doesn't need all that stuff. Your spirit has, is connected with God 100%. Your spirit is so set in him that it, it's a whole different mindset. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, what does Jesus say? Flip over to Luke. I want you to see something. Because Luke, Jesus talked like this too. Actually, let's go to Matthew 19. Sorry, Matthew 19. We're going to start with verse 16. This is another really scary passage of Jesus. Remember I told you that Jesus' teachings was astonishing? It was like a hammer that actually knocked people over when he talked. And this is one of those times you're like, what, Jesus? Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good must I do to get, into eter- to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Well, which one? The man inquired. Jesus said, do not murder, commit adultery, do not steal, do not false, have false testimony, honor your mother and father, love your neighbors, yourself, all the laws. All these I've kept, the, Lord, the, the young man said, what do I still lack? He said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. He went away sad because he had great wealth. See, Jesus not only works on our outside and our actions, but now he's going to go to the heart of this young man. And he wants to test them. Okay, young man, what is leading you? Is your body and soul leading you with your stuff and your pride and your your desire for, for everything? Or is your spirit leading you? Because, see, when God has your heart, your stuff, everything switches with your stuff. Stuff becomes distant, a little bit more distant. So now, does God want all your stuff? I don't know. Let's find out what God thinks about that. Go to Luke 12. Luke 12, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. He knows their need. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, could add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor is dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagans run after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek the kingdom first, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near, no moth will destroy, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. 
See, God, when he gets inside of you, he switches things around, and there's a distancing between your worrying, your striving, your you silence your physical self, and your spirit leads. And if he says these people have a need, you have an open heart now to give. Because you know, number one, that God's got your back. He knows you need to eat. He knows you have a house payment. He knows you have a car payment. He is going to take care of you. He, what he wants are children, a body that's not all worried, not all uptight, and, but he wants a body who's trusting him, who's willing to open up, who's willing to meet the needs of a very hurting world, who's got an open hand and a generous heart, who's willing, who's not worry because they know that God knows your needs. He knows what you need. He is not going to leave you. He's a loving daddy. He will care for you. But what do you do when you see your children out of what they have? Give to a sibling or a friend. What does that do to your heart? Oh, that moves me. Oh, that moves me. And this is where God the Father wants his children. This is how God's body, the body of Christ needs to be where your stuff, you no longer fret over it. I want to put you in a place right now where you no longer fret. You no longer worry. You no longer stress. You no longer use your brain time to worry about stuff, but you now switch it and you take that brain time to thank the Lord for everything you have, to be blessed, to be grateful, be filled with his goodness and his awe and say in your heart, I know you got me covered. That's where God's people need to be. And when God's people are right there, then you've got a church that is available to be blessed and to bless. God said to Abraham, I will make you a blessing and you will bless every nation. Can you see yourself as a blessor? Not as just one that walks around saying, I need, I need, I need. The fourth thing, and the second we're going to address today is prayer. Back in Acts, back in Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship bringing bread and to prayer. And I want to finish up today very quickly with prayer. Four things that were involved in this church time this season, incredible, amazing teaching that was hammering them, changing the inside. It wasn't just, oh, something good and interesting. It was getting in their hearts. It was affecting the very depths of their being. For God wants to come in with his word and rearrange everything from your outside to your inside. Get you thinking right. Secondly, he wants such a unity that the common chaos cannot walk or live inside of this place. Thirdly, he wants an act of generosity, but fourthly, he wants a life of prayer. Those four things, those four things active in your life and in this body will turn the world upside down. Prayer, let's talk about prayer for a second. Now, prayer has always, this was, you know, um, about... 33 AD, so, but, so the world has been, had a lot of human beings prior to that, and they were spiritual human beings. There was the Jews that were wandering around, there was the pagans that were wandering around, everyone. Still, they were still people who were spirits on the inside. What do you find every single society in, across the board doing? Praying. Every single society. There 
were no societies that did not have worship of something. They were worshiping a tree. They were worshiping a bird. They were worshiping an idol. They were praying to it. And then there were those who prayed to the one true God. Prayer, 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 prayer. Why prayer? Why? What? 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 Why prayer? Why? Why? It's so boring. It's so long. It's so hard. Nobody's there talking back to you. I'm talking to the air. Prayer. Why prayer? I don't get it. Okay, I'll pray. Am I done yet? Shoot, I forgot to pray for a whole week. Okay, I'll pray. Pray, 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 God. Are you up there? Prayer. The Jews prayed three times every day. Every day. Right now, the Muslims, the Islamic world, every person comes to the, mo- the mosque at least once a day. Gets their face on. Do you? That's the Islamic way. That's the Muslim way. They start their day with a call to prayer. I know I've been in Uganda. This ungodly sound comes and wakes you up. And it's all over the place, waking everybody up. I don't know what time, 5 a.m.? They don't do that in America. How would you like it if every municipality has a huge siren that says, you know, Father God, you know, uh, our kingdom come, our will be. They don't do that. But prayer. The Jews at this time prayed three times a day. Prayer is not something that was new. But it changed on this day. You are spirit and you are in a body. You are a spirit being. The absolute only way for your spirit being to connect with deity, with God, is for your body to pray. Because your spirit is encapsulated in your body. And you live in a physical realm. And the supernatural realm has been separated from us to a certain extent. And your spirit is encapsulated in this body. And the only way that you, your spirit, can break out of just the normal everyday and touch the supernatural is for you to pray. I don't know of any other way. You can talk about it. You can think about it. You can wish for it. You could hope. But the only way that your spirit can somehow get past your physical entrapping, entrapment and touch God is through prayer. Now, let me just give you a hint of how important prayer is. Jesus had to pray. Now, Jesus was one with the Godhead. He was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He was God. He was absolute God. And for a time, God separated out the Son, and he came down, and God put that Spirit, his Spirit, a third of the Godhead, that amazing thing inside of a human body. And his human body then took over his Spirit and encapsulated it. Jesus had to pray. And the Bible says very clearly how Jesus prayed. In Luke, it says he prayed often. In Luke, it says he prayed often. In Mark, he says he got up really early and prayed. 
Another passage in Luke says he spent the entire night praying. If Jesus had to pray, because in another passage, it says that Jesus did nothing that he did not hear his father say first. He, he said nothing that the father hadn't said. He did nothing that the father had ever done. He, he, he was so connected. How was he connected? Oh, he was connected because he was God. No, he was separated from God. Remember, God is this spirit that Jesus got separated and encapsulated into a physical form. He became limited in his physical form. He did not know everything that was going on with the Father. He had to go to prayer to find out. Genius. Can I tell you something, people of God? If we want to change this world, if we want to be his body, if we want to see his kingdom come, if we want to be a part of that. I don't know about you, I do not want to sit at this church and observe someone else on the other side of the country actually doing it. But because my body is enca- my spirit is encapsulated in my body, I have to pray. So you start kind of hating on the body at this point, man, you know. But no, your physical body gives you entrance into this physical realm. And your entrance into this physical realm, because you have a physical body and a mind and a spirit and a hand and feet and all that, gives you permission to walk the face of the earth with the spirit of God alive and burning inside of you, reaching out, speaking, doing, changing. If you did not have a physical body, when saints die, they no longer have influence. They can never pray another prayer. They can never exert any kind of change in this world. And in this world, every person is walking around with their spirit inside, and they are vulnerable. Vulnerable to the spirit of God, vulnerable to the spirit of darkness, vulnerable to the spirit of murder and hatred, anger, bitterness. They're vulnerable to every single spirit. And you carry the spirit of God inside of you. And you rub up against them every day. You get to talk to them every day. You have entrance in this world because you are encapsulated. Your spirit is in a body. I want you to see something, people of God. There is a fight every day between your flesh and your spirit. Your spirit strives and dreams to break free and to be amazing. And your body says, "Uh uh-uh, you're too tired. Uh Uh-uh, you don't feel good. Uh Uh-uh, you're going to look dumb. Uh Uh-uh, just play it cool. Uh Uh-uh, you need food tonight on your plate. Don't give it away. Uh Uh-uh, because see, the body can't figure out the the things of the spirit and the faith. Uh Uh-uh, don't do it. Uh Uh-uh, you're ugly. Uh Uh-uh, you're dumb. Uh Uh-uh, you're stupid. The Spirit of God is inside of you going, no, no, you are born of me now. You are so on fire from me. I walk inside of you and I want to burst forth. Prayer. Prayer. It's more than just a prayer meeting. It's more than just dry words. You have to remember that Acts 2, 40 and on happened after the most incredible prayer meeting there ever was. They were upstairs waiting, praying. Tongues of fire came falling down upon them. The prayer meeting they had was no ordinary prayer meeting. Oh, they had lots of ordinary ones. This wasn't their first rodeo. They had gone to many prayer meetings and nothing happened. 
They'd gone to many prayer meetings. And Jesus still didn't show up. He, he's dead. He, he's gone. He went up into heaven. They went to many prayer meetings. They had to do them in faith. They had to fight through. But praise God for every single one of those 120 that were sitting there in that room when God's power fell and changed their lives forever. It was a prayer meeting like no other prayer meeting. And I would say to you, people of God, wait and tarry. Pray. Find yours. Have yourself be found in the prayer meeting, in the prayer. It's not just prayer. It's worship too. It's singing. It's singing. Paul and Silas. I believe it was Paul and Silas. I don't want to read it. I don't want to take the time. Paul and Silas out there doing the amazing things for God. Out there just crazy. They get arrested. They get thrown in jail. They get, life does not go well. Somebody raise your hand right now if life is not going the best thing right now. Paul and Silas arrested, thrown in jail. Not just, but you know what? Before they got thrown in jail, it wasn't just, hey, go sit in this. We'll give you a little nice little mattress. No. You know what? They were scourged and flocked. Their backs were raked. They were Open wounds, open wounds all over the back of their body. They had been flogged. Then they were put in the deepest of their dungeon with their feet in, in their, their uh, stocks and they were sitting down there. At that point, I think I'd be crying and whining. I would be crying and whining. What? I have done my best for you, God. What are you thinking? My back is bleeding. It's getting infected as we speak. It's dirty. I hurt. Life is hard. Life stinks. Life is horrible. But they chose to pray. They chose to have a prayer meeting about right then because they knew that in their physical realm, they needed the heavens to be rent so that the kingdom could come on earth as it is in heaven because that's Jesus, how Jesus taught them to pray. They didn't sit and whine about their issues. They rent the heavens with their prayer and with their singing. And at midnight, the darkest time of their time, the ground began to shake because prayer changes things. Prayer changes my heart. The Bible says in Philippians that, that when I give all my problems, all my problems to the Lord, his peace that surpasses all understanding begins to guard my heart and my mind. Prayer changes me and my brain. But ch- prayer changes your situation. And church, this church knew how to pray and change their situation. That ground began to shake. Those shackles fell off of those feet. And those people became free men of God, able to leave. I would say to you, O people of God, join me. Join me. Stand, please. I know I'm over. I'm over time. I don't get another go at this. I got to go to Uganda. But I don't get to be with you. I wanted to close just with a hearty, yippee, we are a church that changes things. We are a church engaged in these items. We are not, not just church, because if we start saying I'm a church, you know, the, the church, that excludes me. But in reality, what I want to say is I am an active member in the body of Christ, and I am actively involved 
in the teaching of God, the way it changes my mind. I'm actively involved loving people. I'm actively involved being generous. I'm actively involved in prayer. But I'm not going to close that way. We're going to take one minute, two minutes, three minutes, however long it takes. Because I believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there are those in this room that have found themselves flogged in the very depths of the prison, in very difficult situations, and your tendency is a one to complain, your tendency is one to whine, your tendency is one to get bitter at God and get mad, but we want to here today pray with you and help you rent the heavens and experience an earthquake in your situation, amen? I want the prayer people to come on up. Let's turn those lights down just a little bit. Get more in a prayer mood, please. Go ahead. Let's get those prayer teams up here. And if what I'm saying to you right now hits you right smack dab in the heart, that you need your heaven's rent, you need some things rearranged, get up here very quickly. Let's pray over you. The Seahawks game's coming. We got to get this taken care of. Come on, let's not, let's not tarry. If you have a situation where you need the heavens rent on your behalf, come on up right now. Quickly, quickly.